Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Becky. And I'm Scott. And we're excited to welcome our special guest, Chantel McBride. She's been a friend of ours for several years, and she is a woman who wears many, many hats. She's one of the busiest people that I know, and I'm so grateful that she was able to put us on her calendar to, to come and share her story and journey with us and, and talk about the many, many things that she does. So to start off, Chantel is a hospice chaplain, a mentor, and a trainer, and like I said, another 101 things. So welcome, Chantel. Mm, thanks, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I was over the weekend. I heard someone say, "If you want something done, ask someone who's busy." And I like that. And I like to always say, "I'm not busy. I'm blessed." Oh, there you go. I love that, and that is your attitude. Not only is Chantel a chaplain, but she is known as the cheerful chaplain. I mean, that's what is she? She's known for. I think it's wrapped on her car. It is. It's on the back of my car. It says the cheerful chaplain. Although a lot of times I'm driving down the road crying <laughs> about that mixed messages. I'm always like having these humble days and humble times in my car that just brings tears to my eyes because I'm very grateful for the days I get to spend with people. And I'll even just start crying about it right now because like even yeah. today after this, I'll go visit patients all day. And just so you're, to hear you're a hospice for. chaplain. Mm-hmm. And so everybody that you visit pretty much on their bedridden and, mm-hmm. and their end of life. Of life, wow, yeah, that's got to be very heart wrenching, yeah, but very rewarding at the same time. And you got to meet some of the neatest people, oh, yeah, hear some of the greatest stories, yeah, talk about heaven a lot, yeah, and you know, just what's important in life and just puts everything into perspective. I don't know how many years ago it's been, it's been a few, but I was just working out of state uh, up in Wyoming, and and I'd made a visit home because my wife was just forcing me to go to a an event, and, and because she was working for an author, and, and I don't like things like that. I just like getting busy and getting things done, and, and it just seemed like a waste of time to go to this event. And so I went there, and I met some of the most amazing people I've ever met and in the, the lifelong friendships. And, and that night, you shared a story with us, and, and we just laughed and thought that was so hilarious. And then it's just led to different things that you're doing now. We, we want to go through that journey. So tell, tell us that story. I was shy, I, and I still am, you know, and people think it's funny, but I'm an introvert, you know, I I don't like being out there. I'd rather, if someone asked me, do you want to go speak to a thousand people, or do you want to go sit with someone and hold their hand? I would much rather sit with someone and just hold their hand or cry with them than have to get up in front of people. And I love this weekend, you know, we heard Sandra Joseph, and, you know, she was saying that she's had stage fright forever, and she never did get over it. She hasn't gotten over that stage fright, but she's learned to work with it. I thought, you know what, that's exactly where I'm at. I'm just trying to work with it because it hasn't gone away and I've done everything. The oils and, you know, relaxation and meditation and trying to breathe. But, you know, I was one of those people. I just did not want to get up in front of anyone and do anything. And for 26 years, that was my life. And people around me knew it. My friends, my husband, I sat in the middle, in the middle because that way no one could call on me. I didn't make eye contact with very many people at all because I knew if you did, you get called on. My, I'd pretend like my phone would ring. I mean, I had so many 
just different little tricks up my sleeve to get out of things. And, and if anyone even asked me to read something, whoever was around me would volunteer and say, oh, I'll do it for her because they knew I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even read anything. I didn't want to. And so one night I was at a function, it was a church function, and there was about 75 people there. And a girl came around the corner and caught me and said, hey, you know, will you say the prayer? And I looked around and I'm thinking, okay, where's my people that say, I'll say it for her. There was no one. And people were listening to what the answer was going to be. And I thought, I can't say no. And so I said, sure, you know, I will say the prayer. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you won't. Like, what did you just say yes for? Like, you cannot say this prayer. You don't say anything. You don't even read nothing. So I got up there. And there were 75 people. And they all started bowing their heads and folding their arms and closing their eyes. And I looked around and everything in my being said, just run, go for it. And I ran. <laughs> I was out of there. I thought, I'm not even going to do this. And I was running down the hall and actually picked the one place. It was a kitchen area where the door was locked. And I was just panicking and trying to, you know, wrestle with the door. It wouldn't open. I had to run down the hall and ran outside and had to go by the windows. They were all beveled, so no one could actually see, but I could see all the shadows. And I knew by then, you know, people were looking up thinking, where'd she go? Where'd the prayer girl go? <laughs> She's gone. And it was snowing. I had my heels on and got in my car, drove home and slid into the driveway, just the screech. And my husband could tell right away this. In fact, I think I kind of hit the wall into the garage and, you know, he come running out and I came running in and I was just having a full-on panic attack and huffing and puffing and just white as a ghost. And he kept saying, what happened? Did you kill someone? Did you rob a bank? Like, what is wrong? And I was just freaking out. And he sat me down and, and looked me in the eye and just calm, tried to calm me down. And all I could say is, the prayer, the prayer. <laughs> and finally got it out of me. And I said, I told him what happened. And his face, he just looked at me like, wow, like, this is bad. Like, this is my wife. And that day I realized, I thought, wow, what happened? You know, in high school, I was in concert choir, dance club. I played the flute, the violin. You know, I was pretty, I mean, I was always nervous, but not, not to this point and realized I had lost my voice, lost who I was and just kind of tucked her away and, and didn't want to be in front of people. And and now, of all things, yeah, a hospice chaplain, I pray every day with people and <laughs> do devotionals. And it, yeah. It's funny to hear that story and then to know that now you're a, a chaplain. I know. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It's funny what you resist persists. And I guess, you know, God wasn't going to give up on me. He kept calling me and trying to get me to come in this direction. And I wasn't listening at the time. But, you know, it's just, it's funny. I look back and I just think, wow, you know, how the calling was right in front of my face. And I had both hands up, both feet in the ground. I still do. I always say I'm a very willing but reluctant servant. Yes. <laughs> but like God's always dragging me. <laughs> face their fears. Yeah, yeah. But now I do speaking. I did a TED Talk. Yeah, I was going to say, I was yeah. I was there and witnessed that TED Talk. Mm -hmm. You did wonderful. And you, oh, thank you. a lot of speaking opportunities mm -hmm. have come to you through that. Yeah. It wasn't even about the talk. It was about what happened after and the connections made and just the fact of just showing up. You know, just show up and... Maybe there was one person out there that needed to hear what I had to say, which there were. And, you know, for me, it's like, okay, anytime I go to do something, it's like, and I feel this calling to do it. I just think I'm just going to show up, you know, and nothing happened. I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> one thing that I love about you is that whenever you, you've had any kind of hardship, you've turned that around into something positive and to be a force for good. And helping others. And one thing that comes to mind is that I know that you've lost 
a lot of people in your life that are close to you. And you turn that around into a training program Mm -hmm. called Live Like You're Dying. Kind of tell us about that. I come off a year of losing five really close family friends. And one of them was my dear, dear friend, Reagan, such a dear friend and taught me so much about life. And I just always looked at her. She got diagnosed with cancer five times and never heard her say, I need to change anything. I need to work less, work more, travel more, you know, nothing. She just would always say I would be back. And they would tell her, you this is bad. Like you're probably not going to go back. And she would say, I'll be back. And she would just jump right back into her life. I thought, who could do that? You know, if you knew you only had so much time to live, you know, how many things would you want to change? I know there was probably things even now that I would want to change or do different. And she never did. And then when that day I saw her and I knew I could tell in her eyes and she knew too, that that was the end and left two young boys here. And it was hard. And after she passed, I mean, it still brings back all these memories because I went out in the parking lot and like for Five hours, just sat in my car. It was just raining, like no tomorrow, just pounding rain. And I wrote the training in her honor, just live like you're dying and how to live every day, you know, 100% and not have to want to change anything. And, and you know, what's that legacy that you want to leave behind? And, and now it's just by request only, really. When I do that, I probably need to bring it out a little bit more. But I get a lot of requests to, to do that training. And then coming into that new year, Within three months, we lost nine friends and family members in three months. And back then, I didn't have any of this grief counseling. I didn't have um, chaplaincy, nothing. So we didn't know how to deal with that. You know, and I had a really dear friend at the time that just kept telling me, just let it go. Give it to the universe. Give it all back to the universe. And I tried. You know, I wanted to get rid of that pain and that hurt and just move on. And I could not. It just did not. It wasn't working. And that's when all these people started coming on my path. And probably the main person for that message is Dave Blanchard. You know, mm-hmm. he's the CEO of Ogmandino and teaching me, you know what, maybe you don't need to get rid of that pain. Maybe you need to put it in your heart and serve from there. And starting to realize as all those people left, I thought, every one of them, I thought they took a piece of my heart. I thought, I have no heart left. Like, I have nothing left. I feel so empty. And then turning that around and realizing, you know what, each of those people left me with a piece of their heart. I can serve from that. I have a huge heart now because of all the people I lost and realizing I have angels I can call on. Tons of them now, even my patients, you know, they'll say, I'll be up there rooting for you. And I know we'll meet again. And sorry, I'm like emotion- <laughs> I've had that emotional, awesome weekend. Whenever that happens, I just get in this place of gratitude. Yeah. For it and, all. And talking about the weekend, <laughs> it was a, a yeah, wonderful weekend. And I was part of the Women of Worth of Utah organization. Mm-hmm. And you, you're over the mentors. Yeah, right? I was director of mentors and then advisory board. Yeah. And this year I'll be director of training. And we had our big gala. Tell the audience about that organization and yeah. what was, that entailed. It was just a heartfelt weekend, spending that time with these women and just seeing how far they've come from the, the year when we started. And we help women who have escaped polygamy. Maybe they've had an addiction, um, violence, abusive marriage. Um, maybe catastrophic illness or just something that's happened that's, you know, got them down to where they just can't get up. They feel like they can't get up. And we don't give a hand out. We give a hand up. And just helping them through the year and then just seeing them over this weekend and how far they've come. Mm-hmm. It's just it, just to celebrate them. It's There's nothing like it. And, yeah, I, I come off weekends like that. And I'm just – and then into the week and with Thanksgiving, you just have so much gratitude and just – you know, like your introduction says, you know, living with courage and with strength and, and not being perfect and 
you know, it's like, I'm just, just right as I am. And believe me, I'm not perfect. Ask my family. <laughs> They'll tell you. But just to have that, that in my life. And I, I'm just so grateful. I worked retail for 30 years and it was a wonderful career. And I thought I would just going to die there. I thought, you know, everyone would tease me and say, we're going to find you in the dressing room one day <laughs> with your little walker. And <laughs> I thought, that's okay. You know, I'm happy. All my friends are here, my customers. And, and now to change careers at midlife and, and do something different and find really feel like I found my calling. Like I, I can look back and see how I've been prepared for all of this. Absolutely. Everything that you take on, you do with so much passion. Mm -hmm. You jump right in with both feet. You radiate love and, and radiate gratitude. And I think that's why everybody asks you to be part of their organization or to, mm -hmm. to, to do this or do that because you go all in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I would love to do everybody's, you know, I really would, but I do say no a lot. You know, there's so many great causes out there and, you know, people just trying to make a difference in mm -hmm. other people's lives and, yeah, if I could do if I could do them all, I would. But I, there's only 24 hours in a day, right? So tell us a little bit about this chaplain thing. There was a few people I think called you a little bit crazy to do it. Yeah, I was actually. I think you were with me. Yeah, we were on our way down to Las Vegas, of all places, and to attend an event. And one of the gals driving, um, she had mentioned I should just look into chaplaincy because of all the grief work. When all that happened with those friends and family, people were starting to ask me how I was getting through it. And I didn't really know. I just thought, I'm just winging it. I'm doing the best I can just to try and figure all this out. And when she had mentioned you should go and maybe check a little bit more into chaplaincy and maybe that would help you, I, I thought, you know what I'm getting? That intrigues me for whatever reason, because that was never on my radar. And even going through my chaplaincy, it was 1,600 hours to get certified. And then I went on and did 600 more to be board certified. And now I'm actually working on my master certification to teach it as well. But that was never on my radar. And, and I thought for sure I wasn't going to be a hospice chaplain. I thought, yeah, you know, I'll figure out something else to do with it. But the calling was there. You know, I was really drawn towards that piece. And, and I do have a lot of energy. I learned in the seminar world about state changes and how to raise a vibration and lower your vibration and get into a more humble place. And I do that constantly. And I realized, you know, that's why I learned that piece was because, you know, if I'm just so bubbly, sometimes people ask for that. Sometimes people are like, yeah, send over the, the cheerful chaplain. We don't want the doom and gloom. And, you know, but then there's some people you've got to respect that space. And, and it is a very humble and sacred space. And so I'll find myself out in my car. There's a song, Mercy Me, um, by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. And so I'll listen to that before I go into someone's home. And just totally brings me down into a humble place so I can go in there and um, be respectful and I've done a lot with it now. You know, I do a lot with addiction. I do a lot of candlelight visuals, a lot of memorial services. A lot of the speaking I do is on the grief. And I mean, that's just so awesome. I don't want to go back to this prayer thing too much, but <laughs> that you could not say a prayer in front of a group of people. It scared you to death, and you ran from that. And now the biggest fear that people have in life is being around somebody who has cancer or somebody who's about to pass away. So they avoid it because they don't know what to say. And that's not you. You go right into those rooms. What do you say? A lot of it's not saying anything. A lot of it's hand-holding and just a lot of crying sometimes. Um, I ask them questions, you know, about their faith and, and where that's at and you know, where they think they're going and how they feel at the time. And just making it a really sacred space for them to open up and sometimes share things they've never shared before with anybody. 
you know, they won't tell their family members how scared they are or what they're feeling and, and just opening up that space and then being able to facilitate a healing between everyone in the families too as well and inviting them in to have that conversation and, and hear what their loved ones have to say and, and just really opening up that space for a lot of healing and letting go and surrendering, you know, and things we have to do in real life, you know, a lot of times is let go and surrender of different things and, and I get to be right in the midst of what that really looks like, you know, what is surrender and letting go so I can then teach it to those people who are living who need it, you know, who, who need to let go of some things and forgiveness and and just being in that space too. Uh, what's the percentage of people who are elderly? I mean, probably ninety five percent of them are elderly. Do you mm -hmm. you get some just heartbreakers? Some mm -hmm. some young kids yeah. that are have cancer and, mm -hmm. and you're just there with them. Yeah, we really don't do a lot with kids, but we've got we've had some young patients, you know, that have have been diagnosed with some pretty horrific things. And but you know, I I get inspired from them. You know, a lot of times it's not doom and gloom for them either. You know, they're trying to keep their spirits up. And, yeah, they have their times when they just break down and cry. Um, cancer's probably the hardest, um, you know, especially when they don't have much time when they find out later. And, and that's the thing, too, with hospice is, you know, people sometimes wait till the very, very end. And hospice offers so much. And it's not about dying. It's about living. You know, it's about living those last moments those last days as much as you can as much as possible and as comfortable as possible um and so that's why i really embrace the hospice situation and we're sad when someone waits till the very end you know they get a chaplain they get a social worker in fact a lot of times we say even us living you know who would like a doctor to come out of your house a nurse a social worker a chaplain get you back on your feet we have patients who come on who actually end up thriving and go off you know we don't see them for years later you know, we've had patients on for three years. You know, hospice isn't about imminent um, death, although sometimes that does happen. Um, but it's really more about just living and, and having those last moments and, and living the last days to the fullest, as full as you can. That's awesome. And Chantelle is also a wonderful wife and a mother of two. Yeah. I saw some pictures recently that you were in Disneyland with your daughter yeah, and family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a son. He's 21 and my daughter's 19. And my husband, we've been married 31 years. And, wow. you know, we, we just like any other family have our, our struggles and, you know, but, and my family was created differently, you know, through adoption. And so I can look back now too and see, I can look back through my life and just see how everything, there was a reason and what I've learned and what I'm learning and how it all fits together. It's, I've always looking at my life as a big puzzle and, and all that piece fits here and just being able to, I guess with all of this, Death really brings an awakening, too, to those around. And just having that awakening and being able to see where all those pieces fit and how and how God's hand is really in everything. You know, Absolutely. Who's, who's really in charge here. And, and that's what I wanted to touch on just a little bit is take us to where you are now. Because you said it wasn't ever on your vision board. You didn't say vision board. You said no. along those lines. Radar. 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 It wasn't on your radar mm -hmm. to do what you're doing. So... To say that you followed your dream would be a stretch, but to follow your heart mm. would encompass it. So yeah. tell us how that all how that all worked, to just follow your heart and, and end up where you are, to be on path. We, mm. we understand that when, you cro when you're on path, then many others will cross that path that have been waiting for you their entire lives. Yeah. How do you get to that point? Well, for me, um, that's where Leslie Householder came in and her genius boot camp, and now I facilitate that myself. But... Just really diving in and learning, for me, how to be led by God, you know, my Father in Heaven. And, and just 
having that connection and being in tune with him and just knowing exactly every single step, what I do, where I go, who I talk to, um, that it's all guided. It really is. Even some of the things that kind of take me where I think, okay, that was not a good path or that was the wrong person. It's not. If there's always, I can always know, and I'm still learning, you know, to trust um, a little bit because sometimes I don't quite trust. I still, I'll go do it, but I'm, I'm always leery <laughs> and he knows that. Um, but just to be, you know, in that place of being guided, you know, in everything I do, I always just feel guided and protected and comforted and, and um, yeah, it's just, I never had that before and to have that now is just. For me, another gift, you know, I just feel so blessed that I found that peace and a peace in both ways. There you peace go. Got a peace. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Chantel, for joining us today. 22 minutes goes fast. It does. So carry on. So does life. So does life. <laughs> yeah. Carry on and continue to live life with, with passion and breathing life in, into others. So mm. appreciate Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. See you later. It's been great having you today. It's been fun to reminisce and go know, back huh? to some great time. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, great job following your heart. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.